This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 45 of season 2. And today, if you have followed me on Facebook or the Instagram that I just started using, so (laughs) it's not that busy over there, you will notice that I have somewhat come out of the closet, the broom closet, that is, and I only wanted an opportunity I don't know, to be able to speak to y'all in other formats, to be able to feel like if I wanted to do something live, I could, but it was more than that. It was also just not allowing what happened to me in 2014 to continue to hold me like a prisoner, and I think I've talked enough about that that I don't have to go through it anymore. But it really did damage to me, the entire event, um, being outed as a witch to the dean and going through a character assassination and losing so many of my friends who I felt did not stand up for me, uh, weren't willing to take any risk at all in that endeavor, just the whole thing. And then the ensuing lawsuit, it was a lot. It was emotionally draining. But I think the thing it was the most, besides the loss of income, the loss of um, my health insurance, my retirement fund that I had to cash out so I could live that year, and my life insurance, besides the loss of all of that, there was another deeper loss for me. And that, Bat Children, was my identity. Mm -hmm. Until then, I never did bring up my spiritual or religious path because it just didn't seem very relevant to students studying Hemingway or whatever else we were studying at the time. And I certainly didn't wear any, you know, necklaces or anything that would have outed me. I was very careful with that as well, which by the way is bullshit if other people can wear crosses, but still I was very careful with it. And again, it was because I just didn't see it as uh, relevant. And the identity I lost, though, you know, at first I thought that the only thing I had lost was my status as a teacher, you know? I mean, I was teaching online, but there was something so gratifying and literally it gave me life (laughs) to walk into a classroom live and speak to everyone there. I would sit on my desk (laughs) cross-legged with a cup of coffee and we had a rapport and my students learned so much more that way with that energy flow we believe in magic and y'all there is an energy flow you get in person that you just can't quite I don't know if other ways like technology aren't as good at it's that they're different than you know what I'm saying So what I can literally share across six feet of space in a classroom, it is much harder for me to get that across in an online class. So I lost, I believed, my um, teacherhood. 
and definitely to a large extent, my career as an educator. I mean, I've been teaching online with different universities since 2007, and um, that's not a career. That's adjunct work, and it's uh, not steady, and you can't count on it, and the pay is extraordinarily low. So, you know, the place that I was going to retire from, the place that I had grown myself as an academic, went away for a year and was a professor somewhere else and, and came back, all of that was gone. And it was gone forever. Because once you become litigious, uh, well, <laughs> not a lot of universities want to hire you. And of course, the reason for that uh, lawsuit was public. So I did, you know, let's not pretty it up. I did lose part of my identity that day. And it was one that I'd scrapped and worked harder for than any of my colleagues at that time. I'm fairly sure. Because I had done it from, you know, a girl on the streets with a GED to struggling as a mom with three kids and two jobs and no help from my parents to pay the way for tuition. So to get there, to go from being a a seventh grade dropout to someone with a doctorate was a long, bloody battle. It was. And I was very proud to be there and very proud of my work, pretty much dedicated, you know, over half my life to that. So what I didn't count on y'all was that I had lost part of my witch identity. Mm-hmm. It was a sneaky little way that that happened, you know? I mean, I was suddenly relegated to the corners of the world, if you will, in my craft. A very specific corner here in the Deep South, in the Bible Belt. And that meant that I was, I was so bruised by the experience. Um, quite honestly, didn't realize it for years. But when I got therapy, I had complicated my PTSD from events that had happened when I was just a teenager. <laughs> and it had deepened new PTSD. I leaned very much toward being agoraphobic and have fought it over and over throughout the years. And so teaching in person was sort of critical to my mental health because it kept me out there. It kept me in the world. When I lost my job and I lost my career and I went through that horrible battle, the battle took a year and it was demeaning, very demeaning and extraordinary, emotionally charged subject, but it was extraordinarily lonely. Nobody wanted to be seen with a witch. You stop getting invited places when certain other faculty are going to be around. And I got very frightened for my children who were still young enough that it could impact them. I was very worried for my partner. What I didn't notice is that it kicked me so far into the closet that I think I was more my authentic self, not saying I was a witch. Then who I became hiding in the shadows and whispering, I'm a witch. Does that make any sense to you? Something inside of me um, started to die. I actually thought it was completely gone until a few days ago. I was expected to feel shame about my identity from that university and its institutions. I was supposed to feel deep shame. 
and um, I accommodated them. <laughs> I did. It tapped into some old uh, self-confidence things um, from my family. I accommodated them. I felt all the shame in the world, and I didn't realize I did. I'm sorry, it's emotional. I told myself that I was um, keeping myself safe. I had told myself that I was trying to keep my family safe, and those were true things. And so it worked very well as the cloak I put over the deepest reason that I went back into hiding. And by hiding, I mean every way imaginable, but I suppose specifically my agoraphobia kicked back in very hard. There was a time that it got so extreme, I couldn't go to the backyard. And for me, that is really unhealthy as for anyone, but I'm a, I'm a gardener. I'm a farmer. I'm a, a tree lover. It's where I find all of my peace. So to get to the point where and uh, there was one bad month, actually, where I couldn't leave my bedroom. I hate to admit all this on the air, but mental health is a real issue in our country. And one of the reasons that it has not gotten the help it, you know, or the support it needs from all of us is because people are ashamed and we shouldn't be. I have PTSD and I have PTSD related anxiety disorder, but there was a time that I was audacious. And I've heard all of the very positive love and light folks tell me that I needed to rise from those flames, <laughs> you know, and fought emotionally. And um, 2014 is eight years ago. It's unbelievable, honestly. Eight years from the time that I walked up those beloved steps where I worked and I adored them. I loved everything, really, about my job. Eight years since I was able to walk into a room and say, hey, y'all, now what'd you think about the reading? And we were just, oh my gosh, it was magical in my classroom. <laughs> they would open up and we, you know, have Halloween parties and they would be so happy <laughs> because they would say, you know, I haven't had a Halloween party since I was like in third grade or something. And we would all bring food and dress up and it's a major state university <laughs> and you would see like you know everyone just walking around normal and here come my class and it would be football players and even frat boys and swimmers and just whoever and everyone would be dressed up carrying everything from popcorn to candy apples and we would watch a relevant film that I felt we could uh, link to some kind of theme in global literature or whatever. And it was magical. One year, I took them all to this uh, graveyard, this old, old haunted graveyard here, and I got them a tour. So we all met down there at this place, and we had this wonderful historian walk us through and give us a tour of all of these gravestones and what they meant and what the history of the place was. I cannot remember what year that was. I do believe it was like 02 or 03, maybe 04. Anyway, those students, we did the tracings, you know, where you take the certain kind of paper and the charcoal over these old forgotten headstones and took them back to the classroom. And I used it as a creative writing exercise where they would uh, create stories about the person who 
that stone had represented. So I found ways to bring it all together and it was just something else, y'all. It was kismet. It was Camelot. It was everything to me. And then it was gone. I didn't even get the honor of knowing it was over so that I could enjoy my last class day. I was told on vacation, (laughs) on vacation, because I thought I could still afford one. I, I couldn't bring myself, I never could bring myself to go back to my office and get my things. And instead, a dear friend of mine named Marion, she just, I don't know, they usually, there were two people for every office and apparently mine stayed empty until her retirement. I shared one with her and it just, my seat stayed empty. My things stayed there. It was like I was still there until she retired and bless her for that. (laughs) But I never could go back. I couldn't, I couldn't bear it. I couldn't take it. Because all of the voices in my head, you know, from my mother and childhood, they were all screaming. They were all the ones I thought I had quelled and quieted and said, yes, I can do it. I can do it. I can come off the streets. I can get an education. And I can do it while raising these babies alone. I can even win awards for my teaching. Look at me go. And there was so much of my identity wrapped up in that success to be the street girl gone good and they all came swimming back at me because I was shunned and told to go away and I was told that because I was a witch so I put a lot of my identity as a witch in the box in the box with all of my old syllabi and my awards and everything I'd loved my little coffee cup I always took up there And I just packaged the whole thing up and it was lost, I believed. And I don't hear enough people talk about losing your witch identity. It's less of a crisis of spirit. It was more of a crisis of identity. Because all these things are hinged together, you know? I was a teacher, an instructor. I was um, a witch, a mama. I was a lover, a friend. I I was all of these things, you know, like Meredith Brooks taught us in the 90s. I was a bitch. (laughs) And I was all of those. And so they were sort of hinged upon each other. And I wasn't very fragmented. Mm -hmm. And so then when a parcel of it got chiseled out against my will, it kind of drug other pieces with it. That's the only way I know how to put it. I... I faded into myself. I faded in a lot of ways. And I've heard folks say that, you know, well, you succeeded because of your trauma. It made you you are today. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I would like to say, let's not tell people that anymore, okay? Because the trauma hurts. It really does. And I guess trying to wrap it up in a pretty bow and thank it for making me something Lately and in therapy, I've learned that that is probably not the most healthy thing for me to do. It really isn't. Because I think I would have still been something audacious. I had enough past trauma as a child. I still would have been something really cool. I'll never know what without this added thing in my life. So no, I'm, 
I'd rather not be so grateful for it anymore. I've tried that. I may have even said that before. I don't feel that way anymore. Because fuck them. What they did to me was absolutely horrific. And it happens to people all the time. And much worse than what I experienced. But, you know, to hell with them. No, I'm not thankful. And it's taken me a very long time to forgive, get past whatever my feelings about those who I thought were my friends that worked there too, who didn't really stand up for me. They were, I suppose, too afraid for their own jobs. And um, I don't know, when you're tenured, I don't know what you're so scared of. Anyway, no, I became something else. I became the witch in the shadows and that is fine. And if other people are comfortable there, it's also like a wonderful place to practice to heal, to go to the shadows, to find yourself again, to ease your pain, to rest. And the problem is I couldn't stop remembering what it felt like to teach live. And that, my friends, that is gone. But then if I wanted to be honest with myself, all of those pieces of me the witch in me, I was a better life teacher because of that witch in me. Because I believed in magic. Because I believed that they could find magic in books and text and words written from long ago and join their voices to all of these hundreds of years. And, you know, I brought that. That was why I was a good teacher. I think I've told you all this a thousand times, and I'll tell you again, I was told in my um, anal reviews <laughs> that, and this guy was an asshat, by the way, he was a real asshat. He said, if we could figure out what it is you do in the classroom and bottle it, um, we'd have a lot of good teachers like you. And <laughs> how do you explain its magic? You know, that's what it is. So... Well, I didn't, you know, call the quarters and I didn't wear my pretty cape to class. I was bringing my magical self and my craft to how I taught. It was part of my pedagogical mannerisms and, and my tools. And so if I can't bring back that live classroom, what I need desperately to bring back, what I want to bring back is that to my witchcraft. You know, after I popped an image of me up and kind of broke through that and there was a lot of crying and a lot of gnashing of teeth but honey bunnies I needed to do it and for me it was a very big day you see I fought through the PTSD to get there so for me it was a very big day and I hope all the little witches out there that are growing up now I hope they have more freedom when they're older and if you live in a place that it's totally cool, maybe you don't understand what can happen down here. But for us, it takes sometimes a lot of courage. But when I did do that, a friend of mine said, you know, it's a lot easier to listen to a story if you know what the person looks like. And almost instantly, I thought to myself, that's what is missing in my teaching. I still teach online. In fact, now I teach graduate school. And my university that I'll leave unnamed is 
wonderfully open-minded about our holidays and um, our spirituality or religion. In fact, the first time I ever got told that it was fun to take off Samhain because it is part of my sacred path, I think I was shocked. (laughs) What? Wow. So I don't fear that part of it anymore. More for my physical safety and uh, for my children and such. But all I could think about was, yeah, I've been trying to say this. And I'm so sorry. I'm sure someone out there is going to online school and is very upset with what I'm saying. I can't help that. It is more useful to a parent of any kind that has children or is working full time. It is more useful to go. And honestly, there are some wonderful schools and they give you a damn fine education. It is not the same. It is not. I'm not talking about necessarily the material you're going to learn. I think I mean the experience. It is just not the same. And it just hit me that what my witchcraft is missing is that element. Um, I don't know that I want to be in the shadows anymore. It's dusty in here. I used to be different. I used to be, you know, brazen. (laughs) I'm an Aries, damn it. But I also got something from that. I got something from, for instance, that classroom. I could feel that energy better. I was more alive then. And I've been trying to die, I think, without that part of my witch identity for eight years. I mistakenly even went so far as to think I wanted to retire as a teacher um, of the craft. I'd announced it, hadn't taken on a new student in years and years, graduating my sweet, sweet darling Willow as a teacher. So like, you know, I thought, well, I I better go on and retire. And (laughs) I was doing the busy work of dying. And I didn't notice. I didn't. Because I still was practicing my craft, you know, I still was. And I still was doing teaching with my grown students, if you will. I still was either podcasting or blogging. And so I didn't notice the missing piece right away. And after a while, when you lose a piece like that in a dark closet, well, it gets covered up, you know, with dust bunnies, and you don't even hardly recognize it anymore. And then I ran into a picture. It was the last October I ever taught. And that October, I had put I Am a Legend by Richard Matheson on the syllabus. <laughs> I love the book. Not so much the movie. So, which is, by the way, almost 100% different than the book. Except for, you know, there is a guy and he is left. And there is a dog. Anyway. I'd have to double check things and I don't have any notes today. I don't know if y'all don't know that I never use notes. When I have to quote something, I have to go find it (laughs) and come back and then say it because I never have notes. I never know where I'm going in a podcast. I start with saying something like, and today, and then it just pop, it hits me. Anyway, the novel was written in 1954. And Stephen King has said it was one of his, uh, well, that the author was one of his heroes. And I love Stephen King. So years and years ago, I found this book. 
And so I taught it. And it was a huge hit. Huge. We would read the book and then talk about postmodernism. <laughs> and then we would watch the movie and talk about how it doesn't fit. And it was a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> it was. And there was a little bookstore and uh, downtown in the town that I live in, a little bookstore. It was lovely. It was all used books and like really crunchy and cool. And they were doing monthly readings and they invited me to do one. And so I wanted to do a reading on I Am Legend and uh, talk about the themes and why it's important and everything. And this is the longest story I think I've ever told to get to this. I found the photo. Someone took a photo. <laughs> and I remember when they took it, they were like, I caught you teaching. Because <laughs> I have my hands up. I use my hands a lot. And um, I don't know. The photo means a lot to me. It was before I knew that things were going to be taken away. It was when I still believed that that was the road I was going to be on. And I wasn't. But in this photo, I can see myself. And I just had this flush of memory of what it felt like to talk to people and see their face. And them see mine. It's a very specific kind of energy, isn't it, y'all? And suddenly... I found that little piece of me in that broom closet and it it was just uh, kicked under my feet somewhere and I wanted it back. I wanted it back. I wanted it back in my chest. I wanted it back in my identity. I'm certain that they didn't mean to steal it, but it was just all so interlocked with who I was. I've decided to reclaim it. And it does mean risk, and it does mean I'm scared, but it also means I'm living again. And I want anyone that's still in the closet to know that I do not think this is for everybody. I really don't. And I'm not even sure it's for me. I'm on my own personal journey, and I'm just, uh, I'm longing so much to lean back into the road I was on. I want to see where it goes. So. I think that's the other thing I don't hear people talk about a lot, you know? It's almost like we have to make ourselves feel better by saying, well, now, what has happened has happened, and where you are today is this wonderful, gorgeous thing. And in my heart, I'm hearing, it's okay that you lost all that. The fuck it is? I don't feel that way. But I tell you what I can do. I can take everything I've learned in these last eight years, which gives me a huge run and start, right? And jump right back on that road. Mm -hmm. There's only one thing gone for good, but I found new things. I found wonderful new things. So yeah, I guess I'm just a late bloomer. Well, I reckon that's enough on that. Now y'all know why I had to do something about the situation I was in. I've healed a little bit and um, coming out. We'll see where I go from here. Who knows, right? Maybe purple hair. Anyway, we had a wonderful Equinox dinner. We had it two nights ago because that fit our schedule better. <laughs> Modern witch problems, right? You know, I saw a lot of contention all over the interwebs on what to call this holiday. 
You know, the big thing being don't call it Mabin, which leaves a lot of us at a huge loss. As a farmer, I would celebrate this regardless, regardless, because it is an important day. And not only is it a harvest, but the nights are going to be longer from here on. You know, we're tipping over towards the long winter night. And I found something online by Jason Mankey that I'm going to link in this particular podcast that really kind of encapsulates how I feel about what to call this. At the end of the day, I do believe it doesn't hurt anybody for you to decide what to call it yourself. Call it Peter Pan Day. You know, screw it. Call it I Love Pumpkin Day. Call it Mabin call it Harvest Home, call it whatever you want to call it. It's absolutely unpoliceable at the end of the day anyhow. I call it Pagan Thanksgiving, or Witch Thanksgiving, the most, and that's what it is to me. At this time of the year, and around here, you know, all of the field corn is uh, ripe, and we have pumpkins finally starting to get really nice and colored up, and it kind of marks and denotes a bit of rest for a farmer. Well, maybe not altogether, but it marks the, you know, the beginning of the end. And we're busily wrapping everything up. And I want to celebrate nature, Mother Earth, the wonders that my garden has shoved at me. And I will be out there tonight giving thanks for all of that. So I'm not going to go into it too much. I do want y'all to check out what he wrote over on Patheos. It's really cool. And I think it's where I stand anyway. We had a wonderful night and everyone came out with their their potluck. And I think nothing says this time of the year more than potluck. It's just everybody bringing a dish to the table and giving it to others. And it's wonderful. And one of my friends gave the blessing and asked for everyone to go around and say what they brought. And I thought that was so cool. Because, you know, that way you get to know things a little bit better and know people a little bit better. And my partner, Taryn, did the, uh, he's been doing um, an acorn ritual for a very long time where you hold it in your hand and understand that magic that's in such a thing. So tiny and could grow to be so tall, (laughs) so much potential and uh, possible magic and growth there. And I think that's a wonderful way to honor the season. And I think some folks wanted to take them home. And put them on their altars. And others of us wanted to gift them to the fire. Uh, one year I took mine and I rooted it in spring at the spring equinox, which I thought was really cool to do and planted it in the woods. So all kinds of neat things there. You know, the tradition I miss the most is jumping in a big old pile of leaves, y'all. Is there anything more celebratory than that? Of course, the only issue with that is that the ground does need those leaves, y'all. You need to put them back. If you do a small pile, you need to put them back. Um, Lots of critters need those, too. And they make wonderful soil additive as they break down. So, But I do miss that. I really do. And then I always set an intent at this harvest um, because there's one more. There's one more to go. And... That one, you know, is the big to-do, as we all know, is Samhain. For me, I really like to have an intent that I can focus upon until that day. And I created one. I did. 
And it was to be brave in my identity and to begin the work of, I don't know, finding out again who I am. Now, I've told y'all before, just because you get old doesn't mean you know everything. And I think that is a fallacy that we really have to shake down in this world. And if you believe some old person telling you they're all wise and they have it all figured out, honey, you're being led astray. It's not true. Either they've stopped learning altogether, and that one's dangerous, okay, or they're lying. (laughs) So it's one of those. I've learned a lot of shit, but sometimes I realize I need to do more growing and more learning. And right now, I am so excited, you know, here are my granny years to find out what kind of witch I am now. You know, it's like I told y'all last week, I believe we build our identity on top of things as we get older. I don't think we're losing so much pieces of us as that they get shoved down deep or, well, disconnected as mine did. But somewhere in there, in the closet that is my heart and my experiences, I forgot to grow someone. And so in the next 30 days, that is what I'm going to be doing. Well, a little bit more than 30, just over a month. And uh, at least as of this recording, every day I'm going to write down who I believe I am, pieces of my identity, even the ones that I thought I'd lost, that I want to reintegrate back into my life and nourish and nurture and grow. So that's mine. And I don't know if y'all can tell that my voice doesn't sound just right today, but I am still nursing what I do believe is a hangover (laughs) because this particular old witch cannot drink that much sangria. Uh Uh-uh. And I also was struggling with a really bad allergy attack, so the two of them together about whooped my ass. But before I go, y'all, I do want to ask for new listener stories, and we have a theme. I wanted to focus on crafters and makers. So write in and tell me stories about how you imbibe your magic in your craft. And by that, I mean sewing, painting, woodworking, jewelry making, all of that fun stuff. I am here for it. I think it'd be a wonderful way to get through November. So. It's the time. It's the time to weave, right? So let me know, and I'd be happy to read your stories on the air. All right, y'all, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Y'all need to check out Hagcraft Farm, an organic farm that focuses on community, especially as it pertains to women, queer folk, and witches. Leanne, the resident farmer and crafter, makes every beautiful piece of clothing right there on her farm in Cordois Swamp along a tributary stream at the Blackwater River in rural Virginia. All of her fabrics used in her craft are made of natural fibers or remnants saved from a landfill. She focuses on making sizes that flatter all bodies and goes out of her way to craft any size with no extra charge whenever possible. At Hagcraft Farm, traditional sizing doesn't matter as she believes that such standards leaves out a lot of trans folks, as well as anyone whose body is beautifully unique. Part of the fun at Hagcraft Farm is that they also represent an artist collective. Some of these magical pieces are designed by a collaborative effort between the farm and two other crafty ladies. 
Y'all need to check out those special runs of garments that have been rain dyed under full moons, as well as other sacred holidays. I know I'm obsessed, y'all, already with the traveler's cloak. It's gorgeous. And plan to be wearing one by Samhain. Hope y'all love this crafter as much as I do. Y'all can find these wondrous creations over at hatcraftfarm.com and also on Instagram. Support witches, y'all. I want to do a special shout out for my patrons this week, though. Y'all are wonderful. You've been so supportive. I am doing more over there than I'm doing anywhere else. And that includes extra content and previews of my upcoming children's podcast. So if you want to join us, find me over at Patreon. Love y'all like chicken. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.